We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario, and I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is the esteemed Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. Brian, how do you do today? Doing great, man. Just trying to stay out of the snow that we got in our neighborhood tonight and uh, ready to talk some football, man. There's a lot of topics. We had like five topics we wanted to cover today. I know. Right? So like we're setting our schedule for the next couple of days and uh, going to be a lot going on. But yeah, there uh, is ready to ready to talk some football and a topic that is really gotten on my nerves lately. I agree. And you hear it not only from Notre Dame fans, but you also hear it from, you know, the national pundits. Uh, when they, you know, when they're trying to break down Notre Dame's "quote unquote" big games and mm-hmm. and all this, and you hear about the lack of speed, and you mm-hmm. hear about the lack of Little athleticism, playmakers at receiver, yes, playmakers, all it just that whole conversation is a dated conversation, frankly, and it bothers me, and it bothers right. you, and so when things bother us, what do we do? Let's we make talk about it. <laughs> That's right. So. Today's podcast is going to center around does Notre Dame lack top talent at wide receiver? Right. And, you know, we we know what's been said. And, Brian, you can take it from this point. Like, just give some examples of what you're hearing from those those pundits that are out there well, and, fa- and fans alike. And, for that and why are they saying it, right? Yeah. They're saying it because Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame coaches keep saying it. And that's, that's my good, frustration. That's and point. 
like uh, somebody sent me a tweet that Matt Freeman from Irish Sports Daily put out, and it was about a story he did on Lorenzo Styles. I, I didn't read it, but in the tweet he said he's talked about how Dell Alexander reached out to him after the Alabama game, talking about how you know we don't have enough you know playmakers on offense, and I, and I'm thinking way to throw your current staff under the, or your current players under the bus. Okay, no good, good job, you know. And I'm like, and and the frustration the, the frustration for me is. The issue that Notre Dame has is not a receiver talent problem. It's a receiver usage problem. Now, in 2020 specifically, I think one of the cons- one of the issues was there were some injuries that, that you know, you lose Kevin Austin and you lose Braden Lindsey for chunks of the season. That, that's going to hurt you, you know. But this notion that Notre Dame lacks talent, it's it's really twofold. Number one, it's it's coming from the Notre Dame coaches. Which then, you know, when when Brian Kelly goes and tells Bruce Feldman or the people do, for the yes, Kirk Curb Street and all these other people, well, you know, we just we don't have the playmakers. Uh, they're going to run with it, and the head coach doesn't even think you guys have playmakers, you know. And I remember last year before the mock before the combine, I was like, yeah, I, I think Chase Claypool is going to shock some people because you and I are at the games. We see Chase Claypool running three, four, five yards past guys, and not in the Alabama way where. There are these great concepts. It's just because he's just flat out running by dudes. And either the ball didn't come or would come late. And by that time, the guy had caught up or it was underthrown or whatever the case may be. And it's like you hear you heard it all year this year. It's one of the most maddening things ever. And it's, well, receivers aren't getting open. So we can't blame Brian Kelly or Tommy Reese. We can't blame Ian Book. So it's got to be the receivers. No, it's not. It's the first three. And actually, you know, I don't even blame Tommy Reese because Tommy Reese is running Brian Kelly's offense. That's that, that's right. right. That's right. Yes. So I, I don't blame Tommy Reese. And so it, it's like in 2018 when when Brian Kelly after the Clemson game said, you know, we just don't have enough explosive playmakers. And I'm thinking, okay, you had Dexter Williams who averaged like over six yards a carry in his Notre Dame career. I don't think anyone would ever say that Dexter Williams lacked explosiveness. You had Miles Boykin who ran a four four three. You had Chase Claypool, who I believe ran a 4-4-2. They're both 6-4 plus that jumped over 40 inches. You have Alizé Mack. You have Cole Komet. And on the sidelines, getting zero playing time, you have healthy Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keyes third, and Tommy Tremble, getting zero snaps, right? Did you have an explosive playmaker problem, or did you have a coaching problem? Sure. Did you have a scheme problem? And that's my issue. And say, well, you know, uh, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is a great player. I mean, you and I raved about Devontae Smith before, during, and after that game. He's a phenomenal talent. Yep. He's not going to go run a 4-3 at the Combine, okay? John Mechie is not a 4-3 guy, okay? Uh, He was also not a five-star recruit. Neither was Devontae Smith. So this this thing of, well, Notre Dame lacks speed and playmakers and all this kind of stuff. Well, what was the excuse in 2018? You had two six four guys that were sub four five. They were they were closer to being four threes than they were four fives at the at the combine, right? I believe both of them had better forty times than Jerry Judy. I, I believe that to be true. And so the, now you look and say, well, you know, they it's a recruiting problem. Nope, nope, not a recruiting problem. Now again, so we we compare them to let's say Alabama, right? Let's let's have that discussion right now, okay? This is the 247 composite rankings of the depth chart at the Notre Dame depth chart this year at wide receiver and the Alabama depth chart this year wide receiver. Now, keep in mind, 
that Notre Dame didn't have a healthy Kevin Austin for much of the year, and at times Braden Lindsey. But you know who also also didn't have Jalen Waddle, or you know Alabama didn't have Jalen Waddle when they played Notre Dame, right? And he's like limping, running routes against Ohio State, and right. still catching balls. You know, so okay, so you can say okay, Alabama has one more four star, and their overall rankings are slightly higher. Okay, so you say okay, well Alabama has be- better recruiting, not by much. You know, Notre. If you look at the top three. Notre Dame's number one guys ranked higher than Alabama's number one guy. Notre Dame's number three guys ranked higher than Alabama's number three guy. Right. You know, and so <clears throat> you look at this and you say, and I didn't even include Avery Davis, who was ranked in the top 300s as well, because people want to take that and say, well, he was ranked 246. Because people say, well, he was a quarterback, which is true. But when you look at his highest ranking, ESPN had him ranked 150th. They said in their analysis of him that he was probably going to play another position. And so their ranking of him was based on him moving to either running back or wide receiver. You throw Avery Davis in there, then now all of a sudden it's the same number of four stars. And now you bump Lawrence Keys down a spot. And so now the rankings get even more comparable. So now you say, okay, well, Alabama's still higher. Okay, true. Notre Dame's top guy is a freshman. True. So we're not saying that Notre Dame had the offensive talent or the receiver talent to be a 49.5 point per game team. We're never saying that. What we are saying, however, is that Notre Dame can match Bama talent for talent at offensive line, Correct. superior talent at tight end. Correct. They have, I think Alabama had the best running back of the group, but not by much. Not and by Notre much. Dame, I agree. Notre Dame could equal them as a one two punch, in my opinion. And from a production standpoint. And the other part of it is you look at receiver and it's not that big of a difference from a recruiting standpoint. So then what's the problem? It's not a recruiting problem. So what's the problem? It's a, it, so all of a sudden all the, it's like the quarterback debate. Well, Notre Dame's issue at quarterback is that they don't recruit good enough players. Okay. Well, they rank higher than what Mac Jones is ranked. Notre Dame has literally had one quarterback rank lower than Mac Jones, and that's Ian Book. You chased off a top 100 guy because you wanted to start that low-ranking guy, uh, Ian Book, right? So, you, you know, you had two you, – you, you benched a top 100 quarterback for Ian Book. You, had, you chased another one off for Ian Book. So you must have thought Ian Book was something special, right? Yep. So Notre Dame clearly didn't think they had a quarterback problem, okay? Brian Kelly kept talking. They kept making him a Heisman Trophy push for him. So clearly they it's thought he was really good, right? Winner. Right, and the, and, and the recruit, the talent at receiver, I mean, Notre Dame's best receivers the last couple of years were a third and a second round pick. Those yeah. aren't bums. Right. You know what I mean? Like, those aren't 33 points per game guys. Not to mention you had Cole Komet at tight end. You had Michael Mayer at tight end. Every tight end you've had since, like, 2003 has been drafted. The starting tight end has been drafted. So I'm sick of this, This well, the we don't have the players to do X. Okay, you don't have the talent at quarterback to average 49 points a game like Alabama and LSU did the last two years. But as you and I have said many times, you don't have to score 49 points a game when you have the defense that Notre Dame has had the last three years. And this new excuse that Brian Kelly has now concocted that some fans, some, not all, some fans are grabbing onto about the lack of talent receiver is utter nonsense. You know, Ohio State's best receiver, Chris Olave, was a three-star recruit ranked number 399. Clemson's top two receivers this year, uh, uh, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell on the 247 composite ranking were ranked 117th and 159th. 
right? Their number three receiver was a true freshman named EJ Williams, who ranked number 69 on the composite list, 32 spots below Jordan Johnson. I talked to a source yesterday who's told me exactly the same thing that I've heard all year. The first team defense hates Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts, hates them in a good way, in a good way. Yeah, right. Like they say, they said late in the year, Jordan Johnson got frustrated he wasn't playing. So up to that point in time, he would kill our defense. My first response to that was, why in the heck is Jordan Johnson on the scout team? Was my first response. Same with Xavier Watts. Second response is, this whole time when you got all these banged up receivers, right. you're, you're, you're complaining about not having playmakers. Your five star recruit is down there on scout team, destroying your first team defense. And th- and I've heard this from at least a dozen different sources connected to the program, at least a dozen. And it's the same story every time. And the only debate is who's better, Johnson or Watts. That's the only debate I've ever heard. And and it's just one of those things where it's like the players see it. I you know what's the issue with the coaches? And and it, and that's what it gets down to for me is this mantra of, well, they don't have good enough players. Okay. This year they caught some bad luck because they had some injuries. So I wouldn't have expected Notre Dame to be a 45 point scoring point per game team, but he, again, they didn't have to be, but what, but wasn't against, this the, against Clemson? They only need to score 35. Well, wasn't this the perfect opportunity though, with the injuries and such to get some of these younger guys in. Thank you. If you, if you don't think Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley are explosive playmakers, how about you give some of those other guys a chance? And again, right. you played two teams in the regular season that had eight or more wins. Two. You only played four teams out of ten. Only four teams you played had a winning record. Think about that. Four out of ten teams had a winning record. Right. Six so- out of your ten teams had a losing record. Right. And it and only against one of those teams could you get Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts in the game, and you didn't even throw them a pass in that one game. And that and that's my thing. If this isn't the perfect opportunity, and you've got you've got built-in excuses if something doesn't go right, like well, you know, we had these injuries, and so we put mm-hmm. these young guys in, and we weren't really expecting anything, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So you've got that in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. But if they happen to play really, really well, you look like a genius, right? I mean, I don't, I do not see the the negative connotation here. I don't understand why this isn't the perfect storm to get some of those younger guys in, even right. if it's not part of your philosophy to get young guys right. in. It's a perfect chance to do it. Right, and and you look at you look at a guy like I, I like to point to two examples. Right, the two examples I like to point to are Devontae Smith and Chris Olave from Ohio State. Okay. Now, we can all agree that Devontae Smith is a better player right now than anyone Notre Dame has. I'm not arguing that, okay? But but when he was a freshman, he was buried on a pretty deep pretty deep wide receiver depth chart. Sure. I, I think we would really agree good. that in 2017, he was on a depth chart that had Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Robert Foster, all NFL guys, right? That year in 14 games, Devontae Smith only caught seven, seven passes, but he played almost every week. Late in the year, he started, you know, get a little bit more playing time. And then what happens when they needed him to step up in the na- national championship game? He steps up and catches a touchdown pass in overtime to win him the game. He doesn't do that if they never give him a chance during right. the season. Exactly. If they didn't let him, he caught his first two pat. His first here's who he ca- caught balls against that year in, in games: Colorado State, Vanderbilt, who stinks, and Arkansas, who stunk that year. They were a four and eighteen. Then all of a sudden, he steps up and he makes a catch against. 
LSU. He makes a 26-yard touchdown grab on the road against a, a, a number 19 Mississippi State. Then he catches a ball against Mercer. So, again, you're getting him some opportunities, and he's not – again, we're not saying Jordan Johnson should have beat out Javon McKinley, right? I'm not saying that. Look at Chris Olave as a true freshman in 2018. Three-star Chris Olave. Caught a pass against Oregon State. Caught a pass against Tulane. Didn't throw him a lot of balls, but they got him reps. He got into games. And the next thing you know, late in the year, he steps up. Two catches for 41 yards against Michigan State. Catches two touchdown passes against Michigan in a win. That was the year that Michigan was 10-1, and one, and you had some people insanely talking about how they should get in the playoff over Notre Dame, who beat them. Different conversation. And then he catches two passes, two touchdown passes. And then in the Big Ten title game, he catches five, nine, five passes for 79 yards. The guy caught seven passes all year. But in the Big Ten title game, he catches five for 79 in the touchdown. Why? Because over the course of the season, they were playing him, getting him reps, getting him an opportunity, and allowing him to, to develop and grow as a player. Yeah, no question. And that I think that's, again, that's the frustrating part because – they had the perfect – it was the perfect storm, if you will. Right. With, and and look, you said it. Six out of the ten teams had losing records, okay? Right. You're, you're telling me that the guys that you recruited, these, these four-star guys, aren't better, even without knowing the whole playbook. I'm lining my guy up against their guy. Guess what? Our guy's going to be better mm -hmm. regardless. Just mm -hmm. throw the ball. You, you don't have to know the entire playbook to to play against six out of those 10 teams shouldn't have to you, you just shouldn't I mean, Vince I've heard stories of of teams that have had f stud young freshmen that literally the quarterback would have to tell them what to do before the snap okay I, I've had one year we we had uh one year I was actually seeing you where I'm coaching now we had three really good receivers like really good receivers but we ran a lot of four receiver stuff and we had a couple injuries in, in early in the year so we were we were down a guy we had to move a guy to running back so we took a kid off of the defense. He was 6'4", he's 205, he ran a legit 4'5", and he he, he was a, an out, he was our backup outside linebacker. We really athletic kid. We moved him to receiver. He played receiver in high school and he and he knew what to do. But as far as like he could line up and catch the ball, but he didn't know the plays. Sure. So we I came up and I put wristbands on, on gave all the receivers wristbands. And so, you know, here's the play, here's what you do cuz we only lined him up at one spot, you know, right. and, and because he didn't really, he didn't know a whole lot of other things. And over time he learned more. But I mean, when, when you say, Hey, th the level we coach a six, four, two Oh five kid that can run a four five. I'm going to say, Hey coach, we can't play him. Cause he, he doesn't know all the plays. Right. No, he knew like five plays. And then the rest, I gave him a wristband and told him what to do. Cause he knew how to run all the route. I taught him how to run all the routes. So my question is this Vince, what's the issue? If you exactly. lack talent. Okay. Then are your, is your staff bad at recruiting? Because they're recruiting these highly ranked players. They're putting all this effort into – I mean, Javon McKinley was a highly ranked player. Notre Dame had to beat a lot of good teams for him. Yeah, yeah, I remember. You know, Braden Lindsay was a guy that Oregon went after. They tried to flip him. They did for a little bit. Notre yeah, Dame yeah. got him back. Right. You know, I mean, you go down this list. Kevin Austin was an elite top 100 recruit. I mean, you go down this list of guys and you say, okay, either A, you guys are bad – and it's the same thing we said at quarterback. Either A, you're bad evaluators of talent, Right. So you're getting all these highly ranked players in, but they're not panning out or they're not pan panning out until they're like seniors, right? Which is what happened with Chase Claypool and Miles, especially Miles Boykin. 
Because Chase Claypool was still solid as a sophomore and pretty decent as and a he, junior. And he, played, and he played those two years as well. Right. I mean, he, Out of know. necessity, because sure. in 2017, he remember, he didn't play much early. It wasn't until Cam Smith and Freddie Canteen got hurt that, my, that Chase Claypool stepped up and, and did well when they finally put him in the game. Uh, but, but so either you're a, you're bad at evaluating players or B, you have a development problem and, and, and either way you need to fix that. If your coaches aren't good enough to recruit receivers to Notre Dame after in, in the last decade, plus you've put golden Tate, Michael Floyd, Will Fuller, Equinemy St. Brown, Miles Boykin, Chase. I mean, you're putting all these guys into the NFL. You couldn't recruit better receivers. You know, don't, and don't give me the whole well, you know, grades and all this other nonsense. That's a tired excuse. And okay? it's and it's. Uh, I'm hearing that you know that exact excuse mm -hmm. about Jordan Johnson about right. how he doesn't have the traits off the field and all. I that is such a line of BS. Yeah, from everything that I've heard, that's a line of BS. Yeah, that that is. That is a hey, we're gonna leak this out there so that same it, thing it, they did to Phil Dracovic. Right. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't know the protections. Nonsense. I don't care. Let them play. Teach them. And whose job is it to coach those guys into doing that? And here's the other thing is, when you look at a guy like Jordan Johnson, for example, or Xavier Watts, okay, so let's just say Xavier Jordan Johnson didn't, didn't have the traits to play. First of all, what's their excuse for Xavier Watts? Because I know that's not the case with Xavier Watts. So what's your excuse there? Because right. he, was, he was doing damage down on the other team. And again, to your point, it's not like, 2018 was still a, not a good – there was no justification not to play Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsey more in 2018, right. even though Braden Lindsey was a freshman. You didn't have to play him a ton. There's a difference between playing him 30 snaps as a 170-pound freshman and playing him 5 to 10 every sure. week and sure. then just giving him that chance, you know. Uh, so you look at it and you say, all right, so you have Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin. They're pretty good. You're not going to take them off the field for a bunch. Okay, so you don't do that against Georgia in 27, uh, 2019. Okay, you're not, you are not. You may not play the guy in that game early. Uh, I'm talking about 2019, not 2017. Sure. Uh, 2018, You know, maybe you don't play them on the road against Virginia Tech early, or maybe you don't play them against Stanford because, you know, those were considered bigger games at the time. But you darn sure play them against Ball State. You darn sure play them against Vanderbilt. You darn sure play them against a lot of the teams on your schedule because Notre Dame has not played tough schedules in recent seasons. The, right. the data shows it. They just haven't. You know, so, okay, so you don't play them a bunch against Michigan. Okay. But but there's plenty of games. You, you, Wake Forest, you should have got them in earlier than you did. So there, that this whole excuse of, well, you know, the games didn't go. You dictate that. Brian Kelly likes to do this thing where he likes to say things as if the reason things are happening to his program or players in particular are because of out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, well, we can't play Phil because he just doesn't have enough experience. Remember when he said that in 2019? I'm like, well, who determines whether he gets experience or not? You well, and, do. And here's the thing about the quarterback position, and this has been the case for the entirety of Brian Kelly's tenure. Right. He, he never takes the starter out when normal coaches would take the right. starter out in blowout games. Right. You know, when you're ahead. I'm talking about when you're ahead right. and there is zero chance that the other team is coming right. back. Right. Zero chance. Right. They well, don't like, take them out. It's like Duke last year. Notre Dame gets the ball midway through the fourth quarter. They turn, a, turn it over. It's 31-7. to 31-7. And he puts Ian Book back in for a short right. field drive. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. You know, but back to receiver. I want to get back to receiver. So I was talking about the philosophy. No, no, because you're, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I just know if we go down this quarterback tangent, the show's going to change. I'm going to need to change the <laughs> banner down there about, you know, just about – but but the point is this, like so so let's grant a couple things. Okay. Okay. So let's grant the premise, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, but let's grant the premise that overall Notre Dame does not have the receiver talent of Clemson, Ohio State, and and Alabama. Okay. Let's grant that premise for a second. All right, fine. Okay. I don't buy it, but let's for the sake of argument, okay. Stipulate. The, the question then becomes how big is the gap? Is the gap really mid to high 40 points per game? to 33 difference in talent, you know, because you can't say that they're the only team that can even say they have as good of a line as, as Alabama or as, as Notre Dame is Alabama. And, right. and, and I think by the end of the year, Alabama had a better line because Notre Dame suffered more injury. So, you know, they lost their starting center too, but Notre Dame lost their starting center and then their backup center. Yeah. You, you know, so until the title, I mean, so, you know, they're, they're playing Syracuse and they're, you know, and Clemson with their third center that, you know, that's not an ideal situation. Right. But up until that point, I think Notre Dame had the best line in the country and we'll, we'll call it at least a wash with Alabama. Okay. Notre Dame Fair. doesn't lack talent at tight end. Kyron Williams was a sporting news, second team, all American. Okay. So the gap at running back between Notre Dame and those teams isn't significant, even if you grant it as being better. You say, well, ETN and and um, you know Najee Harris and are better. Okay. I wouldn't trade Ohio State's running backs for Notre Dame's running backs. With all due respect to Master Teague and Trey Sermon, I think they're used better. But you know, and I think when you when you look at it, you say, well, the two differences are quarterback. What's funny is the people that that want to say that are usually the same people that are saying that were the ones saying forget Wimbush, forget Jakovic, Ian Book's the guy. Then when things don't pan out and on the big stage as well, you know it's quarterback problem. Well, 
okay. I mean, what, you, you pick a lane and stay in it, please. <laughs> right. You know, but, but so, so, so again, I don't think Ian book was used correctly in my opinion. However, so let's say that takes a touchdown away from where Notre Dame is compared to Bama. Let's say there's a, a, a touchdown difference. Is the, is the receiver difference that great that it should then take another touchdown and a half off from their score? Because Alabama's 49 points a game. Notre Dame was 33 and a half. Right. And, and I would argue Alabama played a far more competitive schedule during the season than Notre Dame did. I mean, Notre Dame played North Carolina and Clemson. Or I mean, really, Clemson. Let's be honest. North Carolina is an 8-4 and four team. Okay. They played, they played Clemson and we'll say North Carolina. So that's three games. Alabama had to play Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M. That's pretty tough schedule when you say, I mean, that's, I would say that's better. And then you look at the depth of the schedule, Ole Miss. I would say they certainly played a tougher schedule than Notre Dame did top to bottom. And yet they were able to find time to go out and score 49 and a half points a game. So you're telling me Notre Dame is 16 points less talented at quarterback and receiver than Notre Dame than Alabama. I don't buy it. No, I'm I don't either. buy that. They're that much lower. I mean, no, the gap. Okay. Let me ask you this. Is the gap between the skill talent at Ohio at Clemson and Notre Dame that much greater than the talent of the Notre Dame offensive line compared to the Clemson offensive line? I don't think so. It's definitely not two touchdowns worth in my opinion. Sure. It, you know, and, and Notre Dame had a better defense, in my opinion. So, again, you, you what I would wish people would do is to stop just to, because Brian Kelly says something, it's true. You, you know what I mean? Because, like, look, let's be honest. Brian Kelly has done this whole narrative his whole career at Notre Dame. And that's so frustrating. If he would just stop with these negative narratives and say, you know what? We didn't do a good job getting those young guys ready. We should have done a better job getting those young guys ready earlier in the season. And then maybe we'd have been in a better position to – to get because it, it's a domino. You don't play them early, so then when the injuries happen, you don't trust to play them. Then that's on you. That's on you as a coach. Yeah. You should have got them playing time against Duke. You should have got them more playing time against South Florida. You should have had Jordan Johnson on the field in the first half against South Florida. Fact. Okay. Should have got Xavier Watson early in the third quarter against South Florida. Fact. You played a garbage Florida State team. You played a garbage Louisville team. And you played a pit team that was six and five. You played a garbage Georgia Tech team. Yeah. You played a garbage Syracuse team. In none of those games, you could find a way to get those guys onto the field. And you're telling me that you couldn't score more points against those bad teams. And most of those teams were bad because of their defenses. And Notre Dame underperformed on offense in all of them. And you want to blame the receivers? Okay. Well, then if those guys aren't good enough, you knew that against Duke. South Florida, Louisville, and Florida State. You knew that then. Why didn't you then start working on getting some of those younger, more talented players going? Well, this guy doesn't have the traits. Then coach him up. Right, that's your fault. Coach him up. Hey, Jordan, listen, listen man, you got a golden opportunity in front of you. I want to play you next week. But here's the deal. If you miss a single study table, if you're late to a single session with your academic counselor, if you're late to a single workout, if you don't turn in all your assignments this week, you're not going to play. Guess what George Johnson's going to do? He's going to be on time for everything. He's going to get all his assignments turned in. Two birds, one stone. That's that's what good coaches do, right? Hey, look, man, I need to be able to trust you that you're going to go to class. So, you you know, show me you're going to do that. Then I'll get you on the field. But they didn't do that. They just threw him on scout teams. Ah, traits, we'll worry about him in the offseason. That's horrible well, coaching. 
And look, and, and here's the thing about horrible traits. development. Let me say that. Yeah, Excuse there me. you go. Because here's my thing. Recruiting is like a three-year process at this point. Right. Uh, you have plenty of time to do your due diligence on guys yeah. and finding out about them, finding out about their traits and all of that. And you decide whether you you want them in your program or mm-hmm. not. Even when guys commit to you, mm-hmm. you can still tell them, yeah, you know what? We're good. Right. You don't, you know, no. Jordan Johnson first visited Notre Dame when he was a sophomore in high school. Right. So you're telling me that all of a sudden these guys have these brand new off the field traits that you knew right. nothing about coming right. in. That's on you. Right. I, I, and, that, and I'm not necessarily and talking again, about Notre Dame. And, and again, I'm with, in, in this situation, you and I are granting the premise that Jordan Johnson had those issues. We don't necessarily That's, accept that. We're granting the premise that what yes. they're saying is true. Thank you for clarifying S- that. Same I, thing with Phil Dracovic. If you grant yes. the premise he didn't know those things, well, whose fault is that? Because he certainly know, knew those things this year at Boston College. Right, and th- and that's the thing. It's like these guys aren't going to be much different from the time they're a senior in high school till they're a freshman in college. Not right. that much. Yeah, guys mature, and, and maybe sometimes they get homesick or whatever. That's stuff that you can coach. Right. That's stuff that you have resources to deal with, okay? And that's why you coach in college, not the NFL. If you that's don't want to exactly deal right. with young kids learning to make the transition from being at home with mom to living on their own at a college, then go coach in the NFL. Exactly. Exactly. This is why you coach in college, right? You want to develop young people. And if you don't if you don't have a desire to develop young people holistically, then Notre Dame shouldn't be the place for you. And don't blame the go, young people. Go I, somewhere that's else. My issue. That's my exactly yeah. right. Exactly don't blame the young right. people. Look at the mirror first and blame yourself because right. that's look, if a guy's having right. off the field issues, you invited him into your program. Right. That's on you. Okay. Right. I'm and that's if a guy has a brush with the law in high school and you see that that might be a red flag moving forward, then you move on to somebody right. else. Don't and, invite him into your and program. And that's a, 100% a, a example. That, that's not relative to Jordan Johnson or Xavier Watts. They and have I'm not, not had yeah. those issues. And I'm not saying that it right. is. I'm just saying in general. But I, your, I your, stud, just, your stud receiver, your number one guy, did get kicked off the team in college for a time because he hit a cop on campus. Right? Fact. Like so. And, and again, I'm not hammered Javon McKinley because – People make mistakes, Absolutely. and I don't believe I don't believe we judge people on their worst day. I don't believe that. If their worst day is kind of an example of a lot of their other days, then then yeah, you you hold them. But like a guy like Javon McKinley, he just got named to the academic All ACC team, right? So Javon McKinley's a kid who had a bad day. He right. had a he had he had some maturity problems at times, but he still put the work in. So where were what were his trait issues? His first three years when right. he got zero playing time, right? Because here's the thing, to be an academic all-ACC player, you have to have a career cumulative GPA of 3.0 or higher. So clearly Javon McKinley was going to class early in his career when he got zero playing time. What was the issue? Right. It's always some excuse. Why didn't Miles Boykin play his first two and a half years? Why, why didn't Chase Claypool play as a freshman? Why did Will Fuller only catch six? You're telling me Will Fuller made a, a 70 catch improvement from his freshman to sophomore year because that's the number improvement he had, you, you know. And so you're telling me that the 2013 receiving core was so good that you couldn't play Will Fuller more and get him more touches, right? You know why? Why didn't Kevin Austin catch more than five balls? I heard the same thing. Well, you know, off the field, he's not doing what he's to do. Well, why does this continue to happen at wide receiver? You know, you know what I mean. And and that's my frustration is. At some point in time, you have to be able to look in the mirror and say, this is on us. 
And even if all the things they're saying about these receivers are true, it's still on you. Because here's what here's what a good coach, a, a coach who's truly invested in in getting his best players on the field, not his most experienced players on the field, his best players. Right. You sit down in the summer before your guys arrive for summer workouts and you say, listen, let's look at our receiver depth chart. Okay. We have Javon McKinley, who's a good football player, but not proven. I think he had less than 20 career catches. We got right. Ben Skoranek, who's a nice, solid rotation guy. We have Avery Davis, a converted wide receiver. Okay. After that, we've got a lot of young, unproven guys that we need to play. We have to get Kevin ready. We have to get Braden ready. We have to get Lawrence Keyes ready. We have to get Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts watch ready. We have to get them ready. So uh, the other thing is, you know Kevin Austin has a history of things that keep him off the field. It's been injuries at times. It's been suspensions at times. And you know Braden Lindsay is, an, is a concussion or a pulled hamstring away from not playing. You knew that. You knew that his first two years. So how do you not have a contingency plan for when those two guys got hurt? How do you right. not as a how do you not have that? So it's hey, we got to make sure we get Lawrence Keys, Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts coached up and ready to play. So how what's our what's our game plan for that? Hey, look, Jordan's coming from St. Louis. This is going to be a culture shock for him. Xavier's coming from Omaha, Nebraska. It's going to be a whole different world for him. We need to make sure we give them a little extra attention when they get here to make sure they understand the standard of, of excellence that's demanded here. And you you invest that time in. You'll need to invest that time in Ben Skoranek. He knows. He just graduated from Northwestern. Right. He's good. Market. Right? Got it. Avery Davis has proven to you to be a high-character young man. So, yeah, you worry about Avery as a football player, but you don't need to worry about that. You take that time to invest. And I know for a fact from talking to a lot of people over the last three, four years, that's not happening at wide receiver. It's it's not. And, and the fact that it's not, is a problem. The fact that Jordan Johnson's on the scout team in, in the first month of the season, which means not in meetings with the varsity, not going over game plans, not going over install, is a missed opportunity. Even if you want to put him on scout team during practice, because you may think, honestly, there's times in my career events where I put a guy on scout team because he wasn't going to get a lot of reps from me with the varsity, but I wanted him to get some experience. And I knew the defense could benefit from it. He was still in every meeting, and then the things he missed while we were doing team, we would make up for in the film sessions. Hey, you know, when we're going over film, uh, hey, hey, you know, Michael, watch this next series because this is this is something you didn't get during our, our install period because you were down with the scout team. Check this out. Watch what we're doing here. Watch this concept we're doing here. That's not happening because they're not in the film sessions with well, them. And that's that's one thing I wanted to, to bring up because – there's such a dichotomy between the offense and the defense when it mm -hmm. comes to how they operate with their scout yeah. team. And that just baffles my mind because mm -hmm. that is such a philosophical baseline right. for a program is how you're going to deal with uh, those scout team kids. Are they going right. to be a completely separate team way off to the side, not part of anything that the varsity is doing or are they going to be part of all the individual meetings? And then they have additional meetings right. where they learned what to do with the scout team. Right. Defensively, those guys are all part of those meetings. That's why a guy like Jack Kaiser was able to step in against South Florida and be just fine, you know, mm -hmm. at short notice because he was a scout team player, but he knew right. what was going on because he was in the meeting rooms. But then on the offensive side of the ball, those guys that are on the scout team, they're nowhere near the meeting rooms when they're talking game plan and things of that nature for getting ready for the real games. They're off doing scout team stuff. Right. I, 
I, for the life of me, don't understand how one side of the ball is one way and one side of the ball is completely different. I don't get it. And here's the thing. The other side of the ball that we're talking about defense has played young, a lot of young guys. Yes. And we talked when we talked, yeah, I think it was yesterday's show talking about the Marcus Freeman defense. One of the things we talked, we got into talking about the safeties and we talked about Kyle Hamilton didn't know the entire defense. Right. There's a lot of times in games where you could watch Jalen Elliott and, uh, and Alohi Gilman are telling him what to do. Absolutely. But you're like, hey, he's too good not to play. We, we got to play him. That's called good coaching. Right. Isaiah Foskey still doesn't really know what he was doing this year as a redshirt freshman. But you know what they did? They still got him on the field and said, mm-hmm. hey, we, we here's what you're good at. Right. And we're going to we're going to ask you, we're going to allow you to do that, you know, and, you know, and then the other part of it, like you said, is even if you want to have that, hey, look, I can't have all my scholarship receivers plus seven walk on receivers in a film session. OK, fine. Then you can have that policy where they're not in the film session, but you say, hey, Xavier, Jordan, but you're, you're going to be with us. OK, they understand it. You, you sit down and you tell people you're trying to keep telling us that, you know, these these are not kids anymore. They're they're young men. Then. Then, then treat them as such. Communicate with them. You'll be honest with them. And, you know, like at one point in time in the year, Xavier was up with the first team and they wanted to bring Jordan up. So instead of just bringing them both up, they sent Xavier down to the scout team. Why? Right. Why? Why, why do you have only have one of them? So, again, no th- so, so let's, we're kind of ranting a little bit. I want to kind of get I, on track with, 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 with um, some specifics of this. And so, so my point is look, does Notre Dame have the talent of other top programs? I I, I think we can debate that. And I, I, look, but, but let's we grant say that the they're premise. Just a step, they're a step let's, down. Let's grant the premise of of uh, Alabama. Yes, I, right. I don't, and, and even Ohio State because Ohio State has a couple young players that are studs. Notre Dame doesn't have a Garrett Wilson. I'm sorry, they don't. I do think they have guys that can be are as good as Chris Olave. With all due respect. They don't have a Garrett Wilson, and he's just a sophomore, so he's still learning. But like his upside as a player to me is better than anybody Notre Dame has on the current roster. He just is. But is it such that they should be scoring close to fifty points a game, and Notre Dame should be at thirty-three? No, it, it isn't. And that's my thing is is we could even we could find some common ground and say, look, you accept the fact that the receiving core is better than thirty-three points a game, and I'll accept the fact that it's not as good as Alabama's. And when we brought up that graphic earlier, and, and I'm going to bring it up again. I'm not bringing up this graphic to say Notre Dame should be every bit as good at wide receivers Alabama. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is this really the kind of receiving talent and recruiting success? And we didn't even include Avery Davis or the tight ends in this yeah. conversation. Point. If I added the tight ends into this conversation, it'd look a lot different. It'd be, it would look a lot different. I agree. And and so, you know, so so let's let's grant that premise. My whole point is. There's they're saying you know we're not a certain level, and then they're saying but we're not nearly to the level we should be based on what we do have, and that's where I'm coming from. You know my my thing is you want to say because there were times at Notre Dame's career tenure under Brian Kelly, especially early in his career, where you had Michael Floyd who was a stud, but then after that it was like mm, you know T.J. Jones, DeVaris Daniels, and then you know Daniel Smith. Yeah, John Goodman, you you know, Robbie Toma, you know, those weren't guys that were on the level with the guys you were playing with at Alabama. Right. No, I agree with that. And And I I think that's fair. Right. So, so my premise now is more about, um, uh, my, my premise is more about, 
are we really seeing the most of what are we really seeing Notre Dame get the most out of their receivers? Because here's the point. We can't gauge where we need to get to as a program when you're talking about it from a coach's staff standpoint. I can't evaluate where we need to go if I don't believe that we're getting the most out of who we are now. For example, when I look at the Notre Dame defense, I can specifically say we they need to improve here, here, and here, flat out, because there's a level of trust and development that they've proven and established where you could say, I feel like Notre Dame got the most out of their defense this season in a lot of areas. Where they didn't get the most out of it is Buck and the second safety, right? So yep. those are two areas that you feel have to improve. Yes. And and so then and then in previous years, you say, like, I, I don't feel like there is an issue. I mean, areas where I thought they would struggle in 2019, they were good. I thought Asmar Bilal was going to be a disaster in the starting yep. lineup. I mean, I've yep. said it many times. Like, you can't be a great defense with Asmar Bilal starting linebacker. Well, guess what? By the third game of the year, I was like, I, I didn't say that. No, no, me say something, you know, no. He he played really, really well, you know, and so now he's on an NFL roster. If you'd asked me before the 2019 season, is Asmar Bilal going to be on an NFL roster? I said, Shit, get out of here. Yeah, right. right? So, so the point is there's a level of established, proven development that has gone on there. And so you can better say, look, here's where they lack the talent or the production. So like at Buck Linebacker, we can say it's not an athleticism problem. It's a production problem. We can We can identify the issue. At safety, it's a talent problem, you, you know, or a usage problem. You know, cornerback, it's a talent problem. With all due respect to Clarence Lewis and Nick McLeod, they're just not the talents that, you know, Ohio State is throwing out there. There's no Patrick Sertan on the out Notre Dame depth chart at cornerback. They're just right. not, you know. Uh, we could argue whether or not Jordan Johnson or Xavier Watts or some of these other guys, if developed properly, would be such and such. But you can't make that discussion at cornerback. There's a definite talent difference, and we can identify that. The problem on offense, however, is that they don't utilize the talent they have. So, for example, why was running back considered a major question mark coming into the 2020 season? Because had nobody no had done anything. Exactly. Yes. So you're telling me that last year, Kyron Williams made over a 1,000-yard jump in improvement in one year, he couldn't do more than 26 yards last year. You, you can't tell me that because, number one, I was told we saw him in the spring yeah. and we saw him in fall camp. He was darn near the MVP play. of the Blue Bowl game. Right, and and he did well in fall camp. I mean, there's times where he's smoking Kyle Hamilton on corner routes. Yep. And he went from that to not playing. And then, of course, the excuse is, well, Chip didn't want to play him. False. This was a Brian Kelly decision. Fact. Okay, it was not a Chip Long decision, because you think Chip Long wanted to go into the Georgia game with one healthy linebacker running back? No, because that's what the, that's where they were. Everybody else was banged up. He had one running back. That was it, one and a half. And, and so, but Ky, because he couldn't play Kyron because he was on the redshirt plan. And so that that it, it, it's not like again the running back depth chart in 2019 is very similar to what happened in, in 2020. It is the players were there? You just chose not to use them. And so then you come out and you you get all this production from from Kyron Williams and it's great. But my whole thing is, you wasted that last year. You exactly. wasted a year where you could have utilized him as a good number two. And 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 how much better would Tony Jones have been if he didn't have to you know be the workhorse as much as he did? And, and so those are the frustrating things for me, Vince. Is this keeps happening over and over again? You know, I mean, Miles Boykin has this breakout season that turns him into a third round pick. And then he has this great game against LSU, and I'm thinking to myself. 
Did he just figure out how to play receiver the week the week before the LSU game, or did injuries open up an opportunity for him? Because he, he that's what happened. Cam Smith got hurt, and then the first half, Equinemy St. Brown checked out because he got hurt, and that's the only reason Miles Boykin played in that game. Right, the guy won the game for him. So you're telling me he only figured it out that week? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all that extra bowl practice, right, Come on, man? Come on. I mean, and, and you're telling me that that Kyron Williams just figured. I mean. And everybody talks about how hard he worked in the offseason. And, and it's true. Okay. He did work hard. Yes. But, and, and, and I'm hard. not saying he should have been the starter in 2019. I'm not right. saying he should have been a th- – I'm saying he should have played. And how much better would Kyron have been this year in pass protection, for example? Because everybody talks about how good he was in pass protection because he makes some highlight real blocks. If you grade him snap after snap after snap, he was average to below average for most of the years of pass blocker. And people got to stop evaluating how good a guy is on highlight plays. Okay. You got to break it down play after play. A year last year, playing every game, even if it was only 10 to 12 snaps a game, would have given him so much more experience. A lot of the mistakes he made this year as a as a first year guy in the lineup, he could have worked out last year because there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing you can do to get game experience except playing games. Right. It's just a fact. And so, so again, we're, we're pointing to another position group where the same thing happened. And so if Jordan, so next year, Jordan Johnson is going to have to work out some kinks if, if he stays and if they do play him and Xavier Watts, they're gonna have to work out some kinks. Those are kinks. They should have worked out this year, getting 10 to 15 snaps a game. And then they would know a whole lot more about what they've got coming back at this wide receiver position. Cause right now that's a huge question mark. And it's only a question mark because we have no idea what these guys can do in college. And look what we saw this year. Sebo Flemister finally gets a chance to play, and he performs well, in my opinion. You know, sure. Chris Tyree comes in, and and he's th- and, and look. Let's be honest. The main reason Chris Tyree got so much action in fall campus because at one point in time, the vast majority the of the depth chart was out with COVID or tr- contact yeah. tracing. You, you know what I mean? So would he have played as much as he did? And then once the depth chart got healthier, we saw less of Chris Tyree. Yeah, we did. So so this is my frustration is. It, this is one of those philosophical changes that Brian Kelly has to make, okay? Because there is merit to the notion of they don't know the playbook. They don't. They don't know the playbook the way that veterans do for two reasons. Yeah. One is they're freshmen. Number two, it is a complicated, complicated. playbook for wide yes. receivers. Jordan, uh, will, will, um, excuse me, uh, Joe Wilkins, after one of the games this year, Vince, you, you were in that press conference. They asked him about the, the playbook, and he just kind of, you know, <laughs> man. Um, Notre Dame guys. Yes. Yes. And I've heard this from quarterbacks, receivers in the past. It's like, it's, there's just so much intricacy to what you have to do snap after snap. It's not as simple as line up and run a hitch, right? Or line up and run a slant, you know, which it shouldn't be to a degree. But at the same time, there do need, there does need to be the ability to say, we can't ask freshman Jordan Johnson or fresh freshman Xavier Watts to know the offense the way that, that, Jordan, J- J- excuse me, J- um, Javon McKinley, Ben Skoranek, or Avery Davis do. Therefore, those three guys are going to play more snaps. Fine. Yeah. Cool. Great. Got it. But we know that he can – I mean, you're telling me that Xavier Watts doesn't give you a better chance to have success on a jet sweep against Alabama than Ben Skoranek? You know what I mean? No, you don't put him in there just for that because you didn't play him all year. But had you right. played him, who who knows? And, and the other thing is too is maybe Jordan Johnson when he gets playing time breaks out and you realize hey what this guy's this guy's a gamer when the lights are on on Saturdays he's really good maybe Jordan maybe Xavier Watts does that and now you don't just have the three main guys you have the three main guys plus 
plus plus right and and that's where Vince for me where it comes down to is Brian Kelly has to take again this is 2020 this isn't 2005 anymore this isn't 2010 anymore your roster has changed the game has changed if you're not able to get freshmen onto the field at these key positions and have them become more focal points then then you're missing the boat I mean you're telling me that that Michael Mayer is so much further along than Jordan Johnson as a player and mentally that he can be a freshman All-American and have one of the greatest freshman seasons in Notre Dame history, but Jordan Johnson can't get a snap, you know, against anyone other than South Florida or Syracuse. So that that's really where, where it boils down to me. It's a philosophical problem that that and this is why I say f- philosophical changes need to happen that influence what you do on a day-to-day basis. And, and it's it's look receivers coach running backs coach this is what we need you to do and i think at some of those positions they look at tight end i think john mcnulty did a phenomenal job getting michael mayer ready to play at a high, at a high level from a consistency standpoint relatively speaking for a freshman michael mayer's execution level this year for a freshman was tremendous now it wasn't as good as it needs to be if we're evaluating it on just taking away experience out of the question out of the equation there's areas where he's got to get better but for a freshman, it's as I've in my lifetime, I've never seen a freshman play as well. And I'm going all the way back to 1988 when Derek Brown was a starter on a team that won a national championship. Never seen a Notre Dame freshman play this well. Not Kyle Rudolph in 2008. Never, I've never seen it. Um, and and then you look at Chris Tyree when he actually got an opportunity, played really well. You you had a lot of opportunities to get these younger guys in the field, and. Fortunately for Notre Dame, those are positions where it's a little easier to get them on the field, especially running back. Tight end, not as easy, but it's again, it's it's a little easier. If if your if your system is such and your program is run in, in such a way that you consistently have a hard time getting freshmen on the field, what was it last week? We rattled off like this list of of Notre Dame players. It was like Equ- Will Fuller, Equinemius St. Brown. All, I mean, it was all these Notre Dame receivers, and they had a combined 17 catches as freshmen. Yeah. This isn't just us looking for something to complain about in 2020. This is a great year. Let's find something to be upset about, right? This is looking at a pattern and say, well, Kevin Stefferson played as a freshman. Yeah, after Torrey Hunter got knocked out against Texas, and they had a receiving core where everybody except for Torrey Hunter was a freshman or sophomore. Right. The whole team was filled with freshmen or sophomores, except for Torrey Hunter, who missed two games after getting a concussion, which, by the way, was not called targeting, you know. Uh, against, yeah. Yeah. That was not called targeting. And, it, you know, and if that's not the kind of hit you're trying to protect players from, I don't know what we're doing here, but I don't want to digress. The, the point is, Kevin Stefferson played because they had no choice but to play a veteran player. And they didn't have the talent at tight end that year to be able to do what they, they did this year, which is just yeah. put a million tight ends on the field. Right. So, so that's what you get down to Vince is it was those type of things where, where, you know, when, so when Ben Skronik was hurt, okay, he's out. You want to play Joe Wilkins more. That's fine. But we can't, can't find some snaps for, for Xavier Watts in there, or Jordan Johnson in there. You, you, you can't give me a little bit more than that. You had Kevin Austin was out. At one point in time, Skaronic, Lindsay, and Austin were all banged up. Yep. And you couldn't find a way to get Xavier Watts five snaps or 10 snaps or Jordan Johnson five or 10 snaps. So, again, that's a philosophical problem, not a Xavier Watts or Jordan Johnson problem. Exactly. 
Exactly. And, and it's the same thing why Javon McKinley didn't play his first three years. It's the same. Because here's the thing you got to admit about Javon McKinley. Whenever he's been given an opportunity, he's balled every single time. Now, would he have done that as a freshman? I doubt it. But again, you let him work those kinks out then. You, you know what I mean? Miles Boykin yeah. caught zero passes as a freshman. I think five as a sophomore. Chase Claypool caught five passes as, as a freshman on a team that went four and eight. What were you developing the veterans for that year? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't care. Put him in the game. He's 6'4", 215, 220 pounds at a time, and he runs a 4'4". Give him a freaking wristband, have Deshaun Kaiser, tell him what to run. Because with Chase Claypool, I don't care if the cornerback knows what's coming. You still got to guard him. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you know, so – it's a pattern that needs to be corrected. And so at the end of the day, Vince, we, we we get down to it and we have to decide, are you doing enough as a program to say we are we are developing these players, we are putting them in positions and the opportunities are there, they're just not taking advantage of those opportunities. Are you doing that or not? That's the first question that needs to be answered. And if Notre Dame is being honest, they're going to say, no, we're not. And you need to not make that same mistake with Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, and Jaden Thomas this year, right? And and to say the thing, that's what kind of ticked me off when I saw that tweet about how well, we need to get you here because we lack playmakers. That like if I was a freshman receiver and I saw that, I'd be like, what am I playing for you for? Right? Like seriously, what what do you, you? So you've already you've already handed my job over to a freshman who's who's still in high school. You know what I mean? And and I was every bit as good as him in high school, if not better, right? And, and so that's the frustrating thing is when you see your receivers coach saying things like that to recruits, part of it is you understand it's recruiting and coaches say untrue things all the time, which is kind of sad that we have to accept that as a fact. That's kind of sad. Um, but it is what it is. But at the same time, it's like how many times are you going to use this as an excuse? All right. You've been saying this since 2018. So let's just say it was true in 2018. What have you done since then to fix it? And if your response is, well, we have the 2021 class coming in, then guess what? You as a coach didn't do a good enough job, and you as a coach shouldn't be here anymore. But Brian Kelly doesn't hold that level of accountability. Who are you going to, you know, you have the same receivers coach in 2018 that you have now. He's been here since 2017. And what, did he just now start recruiting good players in four years? I mean, it's the same stuff we heard at running back, right, Vince? It was, well, top running backs don't want to come to Notre Dame because because there's this mantra that if you're talented at football and you look a certain way and you're from a certain part of the country, academics clearly aren't important to you, which bothers me. And I'm like, well, running backs didn't seem to be a problem when Tony Alford was here. And lo and behold, when Audrey Denson leaves, they get Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, Audric Estime in consecutive years. Hopefully they can get Logan Diggs. And you're in the you're in the mix for a lot of top backs in the 2022 class, but for that stretch, just miraculously for that four year stretch, and Archer Denson was here, every good running back in the country decided he didn't care about academics. <laughs> Marcus Freeman shows up, and all of a sudden, these top players and you know Tyson Ford commits to Notre Dame a week after basically not even considering Notre Dame. Right. Why? Because Marcus Freeman. So did Tyson Ford like wake up one day and say, "Hey, you know what? I care about academics again." Or did you have a coach that put in the work that was able to help Mike Elston get him over the finish line? Well, and look, look, say what you want to about USC. It's still a pretty good college as far as academics is concerned. So the the fact that he was committed to USC 
and wasn't even considering Notre Dame as a deep. You're, you're talking about the. You're talking about somebody else. You're talking about the linebacker. Oh, I'm the, yeah, I'm All talking right, about Tyson Ford at the end from Missouri. But that's yeah. another example. Uh, yeah. Tui Alamaka, the kid from from California that was committed to USC, very good student. Uh, and all of a sudden, bam, Notre Dame's in the mix and, and Notre Dame's a legit player right. for him. Right. And, and you're seeing that, you know, I, you're seeing that constantly with these kids. Like, and it, it's, it's, so did all of a sudden these so kids start caring about academics? And, and so that's the thing is if receiver is a problem and you're a program that produced a lot of really good receivers, I mean, if you look at from 05 to 2015, a, a period of a decade, and you look at the receivers Notre Dame has produced, and now all of a sudden, you can't develop receivers anymore. You can't gra- you can't right. pick receivers anymore. You can't get explosive receivers anymore. Come on, stop making excuses. If he spent as much time, I'm talking about Brian Kelly here. If he spent as much time like really evaluating his program and being willing to own the mistakes that they've made, as he did talking down his program and his players. Well, you know, South Bend's not real. South Bend is way better now than it was ten when Charlie Weiss was here landing five-star players every year. Way better. You know, I mean, since we moved here in 2010, it's grown significantly with more things to do. You know, the weather's not it, weather's not great in Columbus, Ohio, either. No, hey, to break not, it to you. It's you not know? great up in Michigan, either. Right. And so it's not great at Penn State, you know. And, and so it's just all these excuses that the head coach uses. Yes. Yes. And they're built they're- I'm sorry. And it's just frustrating because it's like you keep throwing the players under the bus. When you say we lack explosive players and you've got Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Dexter Williams, Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, Cole Komet, Alizé Mack, Tommy Trumbull, Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keyes. What you're saying is our players aren't good enough. Right. Right. That's what you're saying. And, and, it's not a, well, we didn't develop them properly. We didn't put them in position to be successful. It's not that it's, they're not good enough. When you tell Lorenzo styles, Hey, we need you because clearly the guys that we have aren't good enough. You're blaming the players. So people get mad at us because we want to blame the coaches. Well, they're blaming the players. They're saying their players aren't good enough. A thousand times worse. You recruited those players. Right. Right. And you're in year 11 and you can't, I mean, you can't recruit receivers anymore. I mean, really? Right. So, you know, Tyson Ford commits to Notre Dame and he said, how many times have you, I I was told this, that Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson were in a podcast recently. And and Pete Sampson, I guess, said that uh, Tyson Ford was asked how many times he talked to Brian Kelly. And the answer was zero. How does that happen? It's a top 100 defensive end. How you does that can't happen? go anywhere. We're on lockdown. There's no visits going on. You're not doing speeches. What are you doing? Zoom. Why can't you hop on a Zoom with a kid for 10 minutes? Come on, man. And if you're I'm, driving, if you have 10 different speaking engagements, how about you call them as you're in the car or plane from going from one to the other? Yeah. FaceTime so, is a beautiful so this was a bit more of a ranting podcast than I wanted it to be. I wanted this to be very factually based, but it is a very, it does fire me up because it, I see fans grabbing onto this and and they don't view it that way. Cause I don't think they mean it to be insulting to the players, but it is yeah. insulting to the players because what you're saying is the coaching is perfectly fine. The development is perfectly fine. It's just that they can't, they don't have good enough players. They need to recruit better. Well, how do you recruit better than what you've done the last few years at receiver? How right. do you get better than that? Right. You know, and, and you say, well, you know, we don't have this or we don't have that. 
you know, kids that are really good at football don't want to go to school. Based on what? Yeah, who, exactly. who tells you that? Brian Kelly? You know what I mean? Because I've talked to recruits for a decade, and that's not true. I know I could point to at least five first-round picks from the last four years that went to other schools that liked Notre Dame, wanted to come to Notre Dame, visited Notre Dame, and said, yeah, I'm not going there. And it had nothing to do with the academics because the only reason they were even looking at Notre Dame was because of the academics, right. including two first-round picks off on, on defense for a team that won a national title recently. I'm just going to say that. Visited Notre Dame. Notre Dame was their leader. Dads wanted them at Notre Dame. They visited. They met with a certain defensive coach that was here at the time, and they said, yeah, I'm not going there. Had nothing to do with academics. So this notion that it's an academic thing is really – it's unfortunate that it's 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 taken hold. Are there kids Notre Dame can't recruit because of academics? Yes. Absolutely. No question. Are, are there kids around the country that don't care about academics? Yes. But, hey, newsflash, there's kids that chose to come to Notre Dame that didn't care about academics because the position they wanted to play keeps putting guys in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. I'm just – the fact – well, and and, and I, it's a well-known fact around campus that there are certain players that have been at Notre Dame in recent seasons that are now getting paychecks or about to get paychecks that had no interest. They were just going to get in. They were going to do what they needed to do to stay eligible and leave. Sure. I get that. So I, Notre I Dame know for gets a fact kids that, that don't care about academics. I know for a fact that there's kids that have been – that have committed to Notre Dame in, in football and other sports as well whose academics aren't great. Right. And Notre Dame finds right. a way. If they right. want you bad enough, they'll find a way. Right. But it, you know, that's a whole and, other. And the great thing about it is their academic support system at Notre Dame is elite, elite, which is why they don't have kids being ineligible. I mean, right. Aaron Banks, remember, not that long ago, Aaron Banks was a, 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 a summer school away from not being eligible to play. Remember that a couple years ago? And he, you know, he needed to get going, right? I mean, we've seen this before. Not every kid at Notre Dame cares about academics. Some kids care about a lot of other things. So the notion that these kids don't care about going to school, well, guess what? There's kids on the team like that now. And they're playing. And that's also part of the frustration with some of these other kids is why is this kid being held to this standard and being, being reprimanded for it, but yet you continue to play right. this other kid who has the same problem? Problem, I say problem, because right. guess what? An 18-year-old has other things important to him besides going to class. Shocker. That's your mouth. You know, so, so anyway, uh, back off the rant. The, the reality is this. We can't really – does Notre Dame need to recruit better receiver? I think until you win a national championship, you need to recruit better everywhere. Sure. I mean, you need to continue to keep recruiting better on the offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, corner, safety, receiver, running back, quarterback, kicker, punter, everywhere. And so, but does Notre Dame have enough talent at receiver to be competitive for a national title? And I don't just mean be competitive, meaning you beat the teams you're supposed to beat that get you to the big to the big dance, and then you get embarrassed. That's not what I'm talking about. I would say yes. I'd say this is the one year where what we saw on the field on Saturday wasn't good enough to do that. Javon McKinley could could be on a receiver depth chart that can absolutely go toe-to-toe with anybody, but do you want him as your number one guy? Probably not. But again, and part of that was bad luck. You had some injuries. The other part of that, Vince, to me is you haven't developed your roster to where you're getting the most out of that group. And even if you play Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts, because they're young, because of the injuries to Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin, 
you'd have probably had the fourth best receiving cl- group in the playoff this year. If I'm, I'm thinking probably, probably accurate, maybe with Clemson, because Clemson had a lot of injuries too. Forget yeah. Joseph Nagata was hurt almost all year. Frank Ladson was hurt all year. Their two highest ranked recruits hardly did anything this year. Oh, and uh, the one kid who is out uh, all season with Justin the Ross. Is- That's right. And yet they still could score 40 some points a game. Right. right? So, and, and their tight ends aren't as good as Notre Dame's, and their offensive line isn't in the same universe as Notre Dame's offensive line. So, again, it just comes down to if Notre Dame is going to fix this, recruiting is not going to be the answer. It, it's not. Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey are not, to me, not any better than Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts. It comes back to a philosophical right. change. It, I mean, it's, it's go, exactly. It's, it's they're not the problem. You know, yes, recruit better players, but you know, Jordan Johnson was the number 37 player in the country, a five star recruit, according to rivals. And he got what 15 snaps all year, maybe zero, zero targets in, in the past game. So, again, the problem is at the coaching level, it starts at the top, and that needs to change. And, and we can look forward to 2021, Vince. You look at a receiving court, it's got Kevin Austin coming back, you've got Braden Lindsay if he can be healthy, Lawrence Keys coming back. Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts going into year two. Avery Davis is coming back. And Avery Davis is a good football player. Joe Wilkins comes back. And then you welcome Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Jane Thomas. Plus, you're going to have one of the best tight end groups in the nation and, and arguably a guy that has a chance to become the best tight end in the nation. And you got two dudes at running back. There are no excuses not to have explosive playmakers on the field in 2021. So we could do a show about previewing the depth chart and all the talent. But the fact of the matter is, you have to change how you use them, how you coach them, what you demand of them, what the expectations are. What's more important to you? Having this really complicated offense that lets everyone know how smart I am as a coach or having a system that allows me to say, this is what Jordan Johnson does. This is what Kevin Austin does. This is what Braden Lindsay does. And we're going to give them a chance to allow their talent to win, which means a lot less thinking and a lot more running. Doesn't and, winning and make you look smarter than even your playbook? In my, I mean, that's not how coaches at this okay. level look at it. It's, it's like people say, well, you know, teams that win a lot tend to run the ball. Even in the NFL, I mean, in past years, this year is going to be a little different. But in past years, you'd say, boy, you have all these high octane teams, but then the team that runs it better ends up still winning Super Bowls. You know, uh, we see that in in college, teams that are winning are, are teams that run the football. Ohio State runs the football a lot. Alabama runs the football effectively. You, you know, I mean. Uh, that's just the way Clemson runs the ball. It, the years that Clemson's been good, 2018, Clemson, I think, averaged over 250 rushing yards per game. So, but the reality is, you know, it's like why I think Mike Shanahan is one of the most underrated coaches of all time. And I think he's a Hall of Famer because he won because they ran really well. So he's not considered the offensive genius that I think that he is because he did it running the ball. John Gruden runs basically the same offense Mike Shanahan does. Didn't have nearly the success that Mike Shanahan did, but he's considered a genius. Why? Because he throws it. Right? And so, you know, uh, the guy from uh, the Rams. Guy has – what has he accomplished? He scored three points in the Super Bowl, right? (laughs) But he's everyone's trying to get the next him. And I'm like, why? What has he done? And what have they done since that Super Bowl year? Because because throwing the ball is sexy and throwing the ball is – look at these – Look how we talk about Steve Sarkeesian, Vince. Right? I mean, you know, because it's it's throwing the ball sexy. That's look at this pass concepts, and, and it is uh, right. Uh, but, you know what's sexy? Me, a blocking scheme. Right. It, it's like it's like Phil Dracovic, right? 
if he comes in a game and he drops back and he scrambles around three different times and then just heaves the ball 50 yards downfield in between three guys, nobody's like, what a great play call. Let's be honest. That's just not, this is not it. Right. It's and so Brian Kelly, I think likes to have an offense. That's like, look, wow. That's just such a well-coached team. And what it, it, I just think it's a lot of, it's about ego. I think it's, he went, I mean, we all know he was looking at the NFL. We all know it. I mean, he's multi after 2012, he was looking at the NFL after 2016, he was looking at the NFL. This isn't a secret. And so I think he has it in his head that he has to have these pro schemes. But the problem is because he's not as locked in on football as he used to be because he's doing all the other head coaching things. He's behind the advancements that are happening in the NFL, which are looking a lot like the advancements that are happening in college football. RPOs have taken over the NFL, right? And and that's the thing is, is, is Brian Kelly has to get back to being the guy he was a long time ago where he was always trying to stay one step ahead of everybody else. Cause football was it for him at Cincinnati football was it for him at Grand, at Grand Valley state. Now it's football, it's media, it's attention, it's legacy. It's speaking engagements, all these other kind of things. Get back to coaching football, get back to saying, Hey, what are we going to do to be great? What we've got athletes, how can we use them? Yep. And if you can't score 49 points a game, I get that. I don't expect you to. I've never said Notre Dame needs to score as many points as Alabama. I don't think they need to. They're going to be good enough on defense, a good enough run in the ball, where they're going to always have a possession or two less than some of those teams on a consistent basis. That's fine. I'm not saying you have to equal them, but you have to be more effective scoring in the big picture. You got they got to be around 40 points a game. I mean, Clemson, when they won in 2016, was a 38-point-per-game team, right? There's no reason Notre Dame can't be there. 38 to 42. There's no Absolutely. reason they can't be there. No more game, really. The bigger thing, however, is they got to be able to score in the big games. And that's where they've fallen woefully short, with the exception of 2015. Sure. In 2015, they scored 22 against Clemson, 36, 35 against Stanford, I believe, and then 28 against Ohio State. Their problem in 2015 was defense in those big games. Every year other than that, they scored, what, 19 against Georgia in 2017. They scored eight on the road against Miami. Even the LSU win that year was 21 points. You won because your defense, because LSU offense was abysmal and always has been. 2018, you scored three points against Clemson, scored 17 points on the road against Georgia. You scored 14 points in a loss to Michigan. And then this year in the ACC title game, you scored 10 points against Clemson, and you scored 14 points against Alabama. And two of your touchdowns of those 24 combined points were in the fourth quarter with the game over. Right. And then the 47 points you put on against against Clemson, you scored 33 in regulation. Only 26 of those were because of the offense because the defense scored a touchdown. Another three of your points in that game came because you they forced a fumble in which you lost yards as an offense, but still were so deep that you got a field goal. And, and then you and then they were missing their three best defensive players, two of their three best defensive players. You know, so this is a pattern. Folks, this is a pattern. You can't tell me that Notre Dame is consistently that far below offensively because the NFL draft would tell me a different story. Right. The NFL draft is telling me that there are actually really good skilled players at Notre Dame. They're just not being utilized the way that they need to be utilized. The 2018 team had Dexter Williams, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin. Um, you had uh, Alizé Mack, Cole Komet, and, and a, pretty, a pretty good offensive line. And you scored 31 and a half points per game. That's abysmal. Yeah. So um, that's why we keep talking about the philosophical changes. And the issue at receiver events is not talent. Can it get better? Yeah. 
needs to get better. Any team can get better. Right. I, that, any team can do better in recruiting. Right. Unless you are number one every single year, yeah. you can get better in recruiting. Right. So that's not even that that's that's not even part of the conversation, in my opinion, because yeah. they're getting guys. It's the manner right. in which they get them once they're already here. Right. So right. that that's what it comes down to for me. And, and and you know, like like you said, we could talk depth chart all you want. They're gonna be forced to play some of these guys next year because it's gonna be so wide open. Um, and, and we're gonna see some guys, but mm-hmm. again. Okay, so the guys that were young this year are going to get the playing time next year, but what about the guys under them? Mm-hmm. You know, are right. we, you know, it, it's a cyclical thing. Right. I mean, eventually those guys, of course, are going to get time, but then what happens to the guys behind them? And then right. what happens to the guys behind them? And it's it, so on and so forth. And, so and that, how could they have been had they started their development sooner? Exactly. That's the thing. You know, maybe, maybe you get more production from Chase Claypool in 2018. And maybe, maybe if you play Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool early in their careers, let them work out some of the kinks in 2018, they're even better than they were. Right. Maybe in 2018, we get the 2019 version of Chase Claypool. Exactly. You take the 2019 version of Chase Claypool with Miles Boykin and Dexter Williams. Maybe they don't beat Clemson, but they right. definitely would have scored more than three points. Right. Right. And then exactly. next year, if if Kevin Austin and Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts all break out next year and are great players, I'm going to have the same argument about Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey. Absolutely. You get them on, and it's not every week. But when you look at the schedule and you see that some of the teams on the schedule and you say, if they don't play at least in the first half of these four games, you have failed as a coach. Agreed. Because here's the other thing is you say, well, you know, they got to play less than four games, you know, to redshirt. Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey should not be five-year players. Barring injury, yes. they should not. And and if Lorenzo Styles is good enough to be a difference maker for you, he's not going to be a fifth year senior. Neither is Deion Colsey. You know, so redshirting them is pointless. Why why redshirt Braden Lindsey? He, he's not a five year player. You know, so same thing with Kyron Williams. If Kyron Williams is a good back, you're going to be lucky to have him after 2021. If Kyron Williams rushes for another thousand yards next year, that means you got two years out of him instead of three. Because he's going to go to the pro, go pro. I mean, if he rushes for a thousand yards next year again, he's going to go pro. I mean, he should go pro. You you only get so many hits as a running back. Right. The shelf life for running backs in the NFL is so short. Right. You got Miles Boykin in four years. You got him for one year plus a game. Yeah. That's a wasted opportunity, in my opinion. Absolutely. So, and that's really what it boils down to: speed up the clock, start the clock moving sooner. Yep. You know, and if that means you lose guys after your junior year because they're going pro, that's good for you because that's that it. means you're not going to be able to convince the next stud receivers to come in and play. And now right. you start that cycle going. You know, where Devontae Smith, who leads Alabama in 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 receiving last year, not Jerry Judy, not Henry Ruggs, comes back for his senior year because he knows the opportunity to develop and become the guy. And so that yep. that's really how how it kind of goes because you have that kind of depth. And so. Yep. Uh, do they are they there where they have that kind of talent? No, not saying that. Can Notre Dame get to the level where they're producing that kind of talent? Yeah, I believe they can. They've shown they can recruit elite receivers. Yep. They haven't done it consistently, especially recently. Uh, but the talent is there for them to be a 40 plus point per game team because you have to count tight ends. And that's the thing that often gets missed. Well, we have talent receiver. Well, you throw the two groups together, you darn sure do. And then you put in Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. If you're not a 33 point per game team from a talent standpoint, right. I don't care what anybody says. Yep. So that's where we're at, Vince. Um, and we were going to talk a little bit about 2021, but I, but I kind of felt like, well, we we both felt like it, it, it's the, the the roster in 2021 doesn't mean anything. It, it's it's 
it's not going to change. No, right. You can insert different names and jersey numbers and whatever into it, but that's not the issue. That's not the issue at all. It's what happens behind the guys that are quote-unquote starting. But it's right. also about how they're used. Yes, absolutely correct. If they're not used in an offense that gives them a chance to be explosive. It's like this. If you're not giving me chances to be explosive, guess what? I'm yeah. not going to look explosive. Right, right. So If I'm yeah. running hitch routes all game and I'm running these stagnant stop routes all game, then I'm not going to look explosive. Right. You, yep. Devontae Smith doesn't run stop routes. Everything he does is moving. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of where we boil down to it. Yeah. Is the well, talent is there. It just has to be utilized and developed. And that's, and that's the key to this podcast. The talent is there. It's not a lack of talent at wide yeah. receiver. So if you got there anything- to do what? Explain that because this is what we need to make clear. The talent is there for what? This that's the thing that's often missing. For what? What's the end game, Vince? Well, yeah, the yeah. town's there for what? Yeah, the end game is to be an explosive offense and to score where you need to score right. and to be like those teams that are putting up those points. Notre Dame has the offensive talent at the wide receiver position to do that. But will there be the philosophy to make that happen? Or is it going right. to be my guys better than your guy and they beat all the teams they're supposed to be and then just get whitewashed when it comes to big time competition? And let me ask you one more question, Vince. If yes. you're utilizing that talent receiver properly, mm-hmm. you're creating a more explosive pass game. Correct. Does that mean you can't use your running game and your awesome offensive line? No. No, it doesn't. Because if you look at teams like Oklahoma, when they had an explosive offense, where they were throwing the ball all over the field, they were still averaging over 250 yards on the ground. Right. Okay. And here's the deal. Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, with a more explosive pass game, are still going to get their same rushing numbers. Correct. The difference is going to be instead of Kyron Williams averaging 5.3 yards per carry this year, which is what he averaged, he's averaging seven yards a carry this year. And and they're going to be more involved in the pass game, which is fine because I'm worried about total yards, not not just rush yards. This is the thing. Kyron Williams averaged 0.6 fewer yards per carry than Tony Jones Jr., who everybody said was slow. He averaged more yards per carry – by closer to a yard than than not, than Kyron Williams. Is that because of Kyron Williams, or is it because the way they use the pass game that everybody knew they were going to run and he still got right. yard? Exactly. My thing is, is that now all of a sudden you're using your pass game weapons the way you should. Now that four-yard run that Kyron has to grind to get is now there's one less defender, two less defenders right. in the box, and now he's he's got to make one guy because we've seen this year when when Kyron Williams or Chris Tyree is in a hole with one dude, nine times out of ten that dude's not winning. That's correct. And he I'm not him. talking against Duke. I'm talking against Clemson. Yes. <laughs> Go look at his first run against Bama. That first long run. There was a defender sitting right there on the backside cut, just waiting to tackle Kyron, and Kyron gave him a quick dead leg and bam, beat him outside for a 15 yard gain. Yep. That's against Bama. Right. His best run of the year was against Clemson. Right. He, so he's not doing it where he's. Yeah. He's yeah. not padding his numbers against the. If you actually, if you go look at his numbers, I think it's like least of his second least effective game of the year, Vince, this year, I believe was against South Florida. I'm, I'm pulling this up now because I know he didn't have a lot of yards against Pitt. Yeah. He had, he had 37 yards against Boston College, a game he got hurt in. He didn't play the second half. He had 38 yards against Pitt and he had 62 yards against Boston College. Right. In the regular season, those were his three lowest rushing yard game. So it's not like he went and ran for like 200 against South Florida, padded his stats against bad teams. Right. You know, he he ran well against the the good teams as well when he got the opportunity. 
And and now all of a sudden you use your pass game effectively and you've got this great offensive line. Guess what? They're now even better because you now have a lower, you have a less impactful box. And so that's what it is. It's not an either or. Right, exactly. And that's why we say it. It's 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 a philosophical change that doesn't equal th- running, not running the ball. Absolutely. That, that's not what we're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. The bottom line is Notre Dame has the talent and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll see what they do with it. And I, if I was a betting man, I, I don't want to say what I would do if I was yeah. a betting man. Let, well, I just, I don't even want to say it, Vince, because we don't know. We're not yeah. in the meetings with Brian Kelly. We You're don't right. know what he's going to make. Cause I would have also said the day that Marcus, the, when we got up the morning that Marcus Freeman was hired, I just said they're not getting Marcus not Freeman. Not a chance. Not a chance. So, so I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because yeah. I do believe deep down Brian Kelly does want to win. I agree. And, and and I and I hope that he makes the changes. And that's why I wrote last week at Irish Breakdown that this is the offseason that's going to determine Brian Kelly's legacy. Yep. Absolutely. If and he's the- willing to make those changes, Vince, this offseason, I think Notre Dame can win a title within the next two to three years. I truly I truly believe that. And the wide receiver position will will benefit one will be one of the position groups that will benefit the most yes. from that philosophical change. No question. Without adding a single player correct. that's not currently signed or on the roster. That's correct. Just the players they have now, if they develop them and put them in the right offense, you have enough to win. Absolutely. In, in 2022, and I, we'll wrap it up with this. In 2022, if you're going to battle with Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, Dion Colsey, who else is going to be on that team? Potentially Lawrence Keys, Braden Lindsay, because they'll have extra years. Uh, potentially Kevin Austin, because he might have an extra year. Jay Michael Brunel. Mayer, uh, Jay Brunel, Michael Mayer, Jaden Thomas, uh, Kevin Bauman, George Takis, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, Audric Estime. Hopefully Logan Diggs. Hopefully Logan Diggs. Vince, I'm sorry. That's some big time talent. Yeah, it is. That's enough talent to win. But we could have said this about several other years at Notre Dame too. Right. Yep. Go back and look at 2015 skill players. So right. it's not a talent problem. It's not a ca- it's not a coaching talent problem either. It's a coaching philosophy problem, right. and that needs to be adjusted. And I know it can be because that's the reason Brian Kelly is at Notre Dame in the first place. What they yes. need to do on offense is what Brian Kelly did that got him here. And that's why I don't think firings are the answer at quarter at quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator, head coach. It's just you got smart people, utilize them, give them the Back chance to, to, to use it. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. For Brian Driscoll, I'm Vince D'Addario, and thank you for listening to Irish Breakdown uh, podcast. Real quick, don't forget stay locked in to IrishBreakdown.com. Rate, uh, subscribe to our podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. The subscribe because- button is right here, right? <laughs> That's and right. And then below that is the website link. And and, and, and so, yes, all types of places you need to subscribe to. And guess what? None of them cost you any money. That's right. So check it out because we got a lot of good stuff coming to you, especially our YouTube channel uh, and our podcast. So, uh, again, Brian, I'm Vince. Thanks for listening to Irish Breakdown Podcast.
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.